Hello and welcome to Master Driving Podcast 151. My name is Terry Frost and this time around I'm looking at one movie and then I'm going to do some general waffling about um, science fiction cinema and, and horror and fantasy and all the rest of it. Uh, the movie is Howling Three the Marsupials, directed by Felipe Moura, an Australian film which is kind of weird and wild and a little bit bugfuck crazy. I think I'm going to talk about the plans for the podcast while I'm in Japan, um, which is only two weeks away, and how things are going to go with that, and just general kind of um, riffing on what's going on. There have been some significant deaths recently, so I'll talk a bit about some stuff around that, and uh, just whatever comes to mind, really. I haven't planned this one particularly well, and I'll tell you why after I get the contact details out of the way, and they're coming up about now. Martian Drive-In Podcast happens every two weeks. It's a podcast of science fiction, fantasy, and horror appreciation. Sometimes I have guests in, sometimes I'll have a roundtable. Sometimes it's just random, particularly when there's a Netflix Marvel Cinematic Universe thing coming up. Feedback is the bread and butter of podcasting, so you can put feedback through at the Paleo Cinema Cafe on Facebook. You can also email feedback to feedbackpaleo, P-A-L-E-O, at gmail.com you can also support the podcast at patreon.com by going to patreon.com slash paleo cinema for as little as a dollar a week uh just be aware when you're listening to the podcast there may be some naughty words in it so if there are kids around you might want to listen to it later on okay so how is everybody um it's turned autumnal here which i don't approve of at all i'm a warm weather guy but on the bright side in around two weeks we're going to japan for springtime we're going to be doing the 13 days in japan and here at uh my place it is getting very chaotic i've decided to finally bite the bullet and get the man cave cleaned up about half of it is um the left hand side as you walk through the door is looking really great i've got rid of a lot of stuff we gave a lot of stuff to a charity for their thrift store that charity being diabetes australia because uh sal has diabetes and i didn't want to give it to a non-secular charity uh i don't really like giving things to religious charities though we we do do that for convenience sake at times but um yeah i can see the shape of how it's going to be and it's looking good. Uh, I'm, I'm quite pleased with the way things are going with the um, renovation. I've got all of the records up in an IKEA boxes, um, the shelving units kind of things. I've got uh, magazines that I'm keeping. The ones I haven't given away to the charity stores are all nicely um, packaged. I've got little IKEA drawers to put other stuff in. Um, yeah. It's going to be fine, and one of the reasons I'm kind of pushing it is we need to arrange things so that my nephew, Billy, when he comes to stay here, because my sister and brother-in-law are going to be looking after the house, his bed's going to be in the man cave. So we've got an inflatable mattress for him, and I moved a lot of really heavy things, which is good that I'm going to the gym because I was quite sore after moving really large shelving units around and lots of boxes full of books, and books aren't the lightest thing in the world, which is one of the reasons why Kindles are so popular, I suppose. But, um, yeah, so still, I'm looking at the stuff I haven't done yet, and it's kind of disheartening me a little bit, but I'll get there. 
Uh, yeah, so lots of changes around here. Um, we've got everything we need for the trip to Japan now. We've got passports, we've got plane tickets, we've got rail passes for Japan Rail, we've got Japanese yen in copious amounts, and we kind of roughly know what we're going to pack. Um, Sal and I haven't done an overseas trip in 12 years. Well, 12 years ago when we got married, we went to Aotearoa, um, New Zealand, for the honeymoon. And apart from that, nothing in 12 years. So it's a little bit different. It's not. It's easy for you bastards in other countries, to be really honest. You guys can drive to other countries. I mean, that's something we dream of doing. Even you people in the UK can put your car on a train and go to France or onto a ferry. We can't do that. The best we can do is go to Tasmania in our cars, which I like doing. We did that a couple of years ago, and that was a lot of fun. But, um, yeah, so this is the, the big one for us, the next big one. And I'm getting excited about it. I've got a few plans. I'm going to be doing a lot of YouTube videos. I'm going to podcast from Tokyo, which is great. I've got the uh, Zoom H2N mic set up. And so, yeah, that's going to be um, an interesting experience. We're probably going to be sitting in a hotel in Shinjuku, um, just grooving and uh, letting you guys know what's happening through the podcast. So after the next Martian drive-in, things may be a little different in that um, we'll be talking about, well, I will, I may even get selling as a guest, talking about Japan and our experiences of a city of 38 million people. Which, uh, just to compare that, Australia has 25 million people in it. Melbourne has 6 million people in it. Tokyo is seven times the size of Melbourne and one and a half times and a bit more the population of Australia. So, yeah, that's going to be kind of fun and challenging. We've got a few plans. We're going to be going to Osaka. We're going to be going to Hiroshima. And the rest of the time, we're going to be grooving around Tokyo. Now, I've got a plan for Sal. And Sal doesn't listen to the podcast. So I'm going to tell you what it is. I've got a secret plan to take you to a museum. And it's the Museum of Parasitology. So basically parasites. So we're going there. It's a free museum in the south part of Tokyo. And so I'm taking there there as a surprise. We're going to shoot a YouTube video there. Uh, The upside for me is not too far away is a beer museum. Um, Ibisu Beer have a museum not far from the other museum. And so we're going there and I'm going to have some um, quality Japanese beer which is fairly inexpensive too. I mean, it's probably going to cost for a big glass about five bucks or so, but this is like quality top-of-the-range beers. So I may well get outside of a couple of those. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, we've we got a lot of plans, and it's going to be great. I'm looking to purchase some movies as well, if I can find some that have English subtitles. Uh, my friend Grant Watson, who's been on the podcast before, says that's a little hard to do. But I've got the um, Japanese symbols for English, so I'm going to be comparing them to the back of DVDs at uh, second-hand DVD places, of which there are a lot in Tokyo. There's um, Book Off and um, other places like that, which sell a lot of um, good condition second-hand media. I'm also going to try to look at uh, getting some CDs and some music, so yeah. Uh, that's my plan. Uh, probably get some collectibles, get lots of gachapon. If you don't know what a gacha gacha is or gachapon, 
It's little capsule toys out of machines, and they've got some really weird and wonderful ones. They're not just for kids. So, yeah, there's there's all of that going on. Um, still doing the radio gig up until we leave. I'm going to be taking a three-week break from the radio gig once I get, you know, while I'm away and when we get back. Uh, I've got the house taken care of. I've got the cats taken care of. Yeah, um, I'm getting excited. And the next couple of weeks on the podcasts are going to be a bit kind of weird and wonderful. And he said, just fiddly with something, magical. So, um, yeah, better move on with the show because I've got to follow the rigid rule, which means I've got to start talking about the movie 15 minutes into the podcast. So what have I been watching? Um, I watched Atlantic Rim. I watched the MST3K version of the ripoff of Pacific Rim, which wasn't all that great to start with. Atlantic Rim. I don't recommend you do that. It's... um. A piece of shit, to be honest with you. And uh, the actor, Graham Greene, the indigenous American actor, is in there, and um, nobody else you really know. The special effects are about as good as you expect from the asylum. Don't see it. That's, that's my rule. Don't see it. Uh, what else have I watched? Spirited Away. Sally and I watched Miyazaki Spirited Away because she hadn't seen it. Uh, unfortunately, we haven't been able to get to the Ghibli Museum in um, Tokyo because... Tickets booked out crazy fast. It's the busiest season of the year almost. And we thought we could get them, and we went right into the website right at the time we are supposed to to get the tickets, and we couldn't get any of the days we're going to be in Tokyo. So we can't go to the um, Studio Ghibli Museum, which is a bit of a shame, but I've got a feeling that we're going to try to get to Japan again later, and so at another time of the year it may be a little less problematic. But uh, Spirited Away, fantastic stuff. Um, no face, all of the um, soot sprites and all sorts of things like that. But the wonderful Miyazaki thing where there aren't really any villains in the movie. Uh, there are people with differing opinions and differing amounts of damage, but um, there aren't any villains. And it's, every time I watch a Miyazaki movie, it takes me about half the movie to get my head around that because I'm looking for the villain because that binary is something that's kind of almost hardwired into us by the kinds of movies that are produced in the West. But Miyazaki is something different and at a different level. Uh, I love the graphics again. It was a joy to watch for, I think, the second time. And, yeah, if you haven't seen it, you really should. Maybe I could find some of them, some, fill out the Miyazaki collection and find some in Japan. I'm going to have to make a note of that one. So, um, yeah, so watch that. I watched a really bad Australian movie called Plug, which is a kind of 1970s exploitation, sexploitation movie filmed in Perth on a minimal budget. It is bad. I watched about three quarters of it and then I had to force myself to watch the rest. It's dismal. <laughs> um, it's been released on, on DVD and Blu-ray here again, but it turned up on my Amazon Prime subscription. And so I thought, I'll watch it again, see if it's any better than it was when I saw it in the 1970s. And kill surprise, it isn't. It is really bad. So there is that. Um, if you want to see it just to be a kind of a completist on exploitation, do so at your own risk. Um, it, it really was bad, basically bad. Uh, what else have I been watching? I'm keeping up with Star Trek Disco. I like the second season. I like the change of pace. And the change of emphasis in it. I've got a couple of theories which are probably not going to pan out because all geeks have theories about 
TV series when there's any kind of mystery involved. I'm not going to share what they are, but um, I have theories. I've uh, been watching Doom Patrol, which I like. I was a Doom Patrol fan back in the 60s when it was comic books. And they've kind of kept true to all of the different iterations of Doom Patrol. They kind of do an acknowledgement of all of that stuff in there. The ensemble works really nicely. And the characters are getting their own arcs. And there's um, still that really good theme of absurdist comedy in it. Which is always um, valuable and a lot of fun. And just quickly, well, I've got a couple of minutes left. I'm going to indulge in a bit of Australian political stuff because I don't have anything else I can think of that I watched. Um, yeah, things have got crazy here. Um, the Christchurch shooter was an Australian, so we're going through a, a national period of evaluation. Um, about 20 years ago, our Prime Minister John Howard at the time, apart from changing the gun laws, which is the only good thing he did, normalised minor political parties like Pauline Hanson's One Nation, which have an overtly racist um, ideology. And that's coming back to bite us much more than it has previously. Um, conservative politics is um, trying to get preference deals, One Nation, so that they don't get totally rolled at the election, which is only about a month or two away. And the revelations have just come out that One Nation's um, people went to the NRA in America to try to get $20 million so that they can basically control the balance of power in the Australian Parliament at the election. That wasn't successful, and the whole thing was set up by Al Jazeera News as a kind of sting operation to get the NRA and One Nation to liaise. And the video Al Jazeera has produced has really revealed the pernicious nature of the apparatchiks of the One Nation Party here in Australia. So all of that stuff's rolling out as we speak, and um, wounds need oxygen to heal. So hopefully that will result in some changes to our polity. And, uh, yeah, a lot of the election campaign is going to happen while we're in Japan, which I'm kind of grateful for because I can get very obsessed with that stuff. Nonetheless, uh, we live in interesting times and hopefully things are pivoting to the good side of things. But anyway, let's get on with the movie. And the movie this time is Howling 3, The Marsupials, starring lot, lots of interesting Australian actors for the most part. Um, Imogen Annesley, uh, Barry Otto, Michael Pate, Max Fairchild, and here is the U.S. trailer for Howling 3, The Marsupials. A terrifying legend never dies. It lives on. You were frightened in the howling. And you'll be horrified as never before as the howling terror continues in Howling 3, the most terrifying howling of all. I wonder how many more of them there are out there. Jesus. But how 
how many of them have we killed over the years? They're nearly extinct. I think they're dangerous. Evolutionary freaks. We possess evidence that werewolves exist. Where, for God's sake? Australia. Jeez, oh, did I? Want to put a shrimp on the body? The Howling Terror continues with a whole new breed of werewolves in Howling 3. Rated PG-13. The New York Times hailed Howling 3 as the one werewolf movie to see this year. The New York Daily News called Howling 3 my kind of horror movie. And the Hollywood Reporter claimed that Howling 3 should attract devotees of horror thrillers. That voiceover at the end sounds a lot like the late, great Don LaFontaine, who was the master of American voiceovers. Apart from Adolf Caesar, who did all the black exploitation ones, he's my go-to guy for uh, voiceovers. Just to compare what you just heard with this supercut of Don LaFontaine intros. In a world in the year 2017. In a time of tradition in a city where anything can happen in a war that isn't his every day in new york city on the miami police force in the deep south from the sewers of gotham from the rooftops of gotham above gotham within this skyscraper high above the city in a town driven by competition in a world that's powered by violence it's christmas eve in l.a on new year's eve of the last decade of the 20th century detectives mike lowry and Marcus Burnett. Yeah, definitely think that's Don LaFontaine. Uh, you can find a supercar with the video clips on YouTube of Don LaFontaine stuff. You can find several of them, in fact. But anyway, let's move on to Howling 3. Directed like the second Howling movie by Felipe Mora, the Australian director, who comes from an artistic family. Uh, his mother, Merkin Mora, who died a couple of years ago, was an artist who also ran cafes and salons in Melbourne, and um, it was well regarded. She was like a, a local icon of culture. Uh, Merkamora had a great um, sense of style. She was a fine artist herself. Her husband was an artist. She ran a cafe and they did some really interesting things with the cafe. It was the only bohemian place in Melbourne in the 1950s and 1960s, really. And um, they got the French singer Jean Sablon to come out to open up the cafe. Um, lots of cool European culture was introduced to Australia by Philippe Mora's family. And he's still um, going. He's on Facebook. He's um, on YouTube. He's doing small, quirky art films, which aren't getting any real theatrical release, so he's releasing them on um, streaming media of various kinds, and good on him. I mean, he's got a quirky vision. He's a bit of fun. And he also made a, a few other Australian movies of note as well. Um, things like, well, for example, Mad Dog Morgan with Dennis Hopper was one of his. 
uh, as I said, uh, Howling 3. He did kind of some low budget and, and dodgy things. Return of Captain Invincible he did as well in 1983, which is a great favourite of mine. Pterodactyl Woman from Beverly Hills. Um, and, yeah, basically didn't have a fantastically big career. He did The Beast Within as well, which is another interesting horror film from 82. Um, Communion, the one where Christopher Walken gets um, anal probe by aliens, which in itself is worth the price of admission. Um, yeah, so he had a very quirky filmography. Anyway, back to the movie. Um, the movie stars Barry Otto, who's a fine Australian actor who's worked on stage and on film for a number of years. He's the father of Miranda Otto, who's turning up in everything these days, including the new Sabrina the Teenage Witch TV series um, on Netflix. So, yeah, both of them fine actors. Uh, we have Imogen Annesley uh, playing Jaboa, who's an Australian werewolf, which is kind of a misnomer because what she really is is a werethylacine, um, a marsupial wolf-like creature. Uh, she's part of a small tribe of werethylacines led by a large, bald, um, brutal guy called Thylo, which is another indication that they're actually thylacines, played by Australian actor Max Fairchild, who wasn't a very nuanced actor, but was very good at playing heavies. He's got a bullet head, his head's shaved, and he's um, not the nicest-looking guy, to be honest with you. So um, Jaboa, rather than submitting to the carnal lusts of Thilo runs away to Sydney and meets up with a young American called Donnie, played by Lee Bialos, who has done not too much else in the um, creative arts lately, who casts her in a role in a horror film that he's part of called Shapeshifters Part 8. The movie's directed by a guy called Jack Citron, played by one of Australia's iconic actors of the 20th century, Frank Thring. Now, if you don't know Frank Thring, you really should. You should do a bit of a YouTube search on Frank Thring. Campy as fuck, um, unashamedly so. Apparently a lovely guy and a great raconteur in person. He was the guy who started the chariot race in Ben-Hur. He, of course, played Pontius Pilate in that. He had a whole bunch of roles in other films too. Uh, let's see what we've got. King of Kings, he was Herod. In El City, he was al Qadir. He was in Age of Consent, the uh, Michael Powell movie. He was in uh, 1970, Ned Kelly. He was in Man from Hong Kong. He was also in Mad Dog Morgan, playing Superintendent Cobham. And a number of other things. Um, incredibly well-loved actor here in Australia. And he came from a family of theatrical and cinema um, production people. His father, F.W. Thring was one of the first pioneers of Australian cinema. So it's good seeing him in a small role directing a movie outside the Archibald Fountain in Hyde Park in Sydney. Um, like any film that is filmed in Sydney, or anywhere in Australia for that matter, uh, there are some chase scenes where Donnie is chasing Jaboa around the streets and the geography is totally stuffed. They clearly teleport across town a number of times during that, which is a bit of the fun for the people who know the geography of a place. Um, there's all sorts of other little subplots that never quite work in this movie because it's a dog's breakfast of a thing. Uh, there are a bunch of scientists um, run by Beck Meyer, 
who is played by Barry Otto, whose father recorded in the 1930s film of an Aboriginal tribe killing a thylacine um, werewolf. So there's that. Um, He is brought in by the President of the United States, who's concerned about werewolves, as you would be, played by Michael Pate, the Australian expatriate actor who worked in uh, Hollywood for a long time. He was in The Court Jester. He was in all sorts of other things. If you look up Michael Pate, P-A-T-E, you're going to find his filmography. It's the second time he played the U.S. president in a Felipe Mora film. He also played the U.S. president in The Return of Captain Invincible, uh, which he has a song, a singing sequence in there too. There's a bit of a musical sequence with the president played by Michael Pate. He plays it exactly the same way um, in Howling 3 as he did in The Return of Captain Invincible three years before. But it's nice to see Michael Pate in an Australian movie. He did a couple of other um, movies before he died a couple of decades ago, including The Mango Tree, which is a kind of nice lyrical little film. He he was very supportive and encouraging of Australian cinema at a time when it wasn't particularly well-loved by um, pretty much anybody. Uh, Anyway, there's another subplot, because you need a lot of subplots in this kind of movie, where Thilo meets and falls in love with a Russian ballerina werewolf, Olga Gork, played by Dagmar Blahova. Um, yeah, that's uh, a kind of a weird one where um, you have a, a ballerina werewolf, and why the fuck not? Um, if you're going to throw everything into the blender, find the weirdest things you can find. Uh, the, the movie... <laughs> is it really worth trying to go on with the plot of this movie any more than I already have? It's a wonderful silliness. Um, we we get uh, some scenes set in the future of this um, kind of movie universe where Jaboa becomes a famous Hollywood star and gets an Oscar. We get... Um, Olga and Beckmeyer falling in love, even though um, Thilo and Olga uh, have a thing. So you get them having a kid. So you've got like a half Russian werewolf, half human child. You also get um, Jaboa and Danny falling in love and having a child and having a half thylacine where where thylacine human child. So there's a lot of you know, uh, werewolves and were-creatures screwing with humans and, and reproducing. So there's all, all of that kind of stuff going on. There's some really nice scenes um, with some Bob McCarran practical special effects of Jaboa having a child, and she hasn't in the way that marsupials haven't, which means that the infant is born incredibly tiny and almost kind of embryonic but able to breathe, and crawls from the vagina up into a pouch in the way that kangaroos and other marsupials do. They've got a really interesting kind of breeding cycle from that point of view. And you see this tiny little kind of thylacine human baby crawl up into Jaboa's pouch because she has a pouch because she's a marsupial, of course. And that's done kind of nicely. It's um, a little bit left field. And it's a sequence that they kind of linger on a little bit to kind of fill things out. 
and it's it works. Um, it's, you're not going to see another you know, thylacine werewolf giving birth scene in another movie. Let's be honest. That's, that's the one you got to get in your lifetime. Unless somebody has a brain fart and decides to remake Howling 3, you're not going to see that in a film again. And I'm gesturing really bigly here, so I've got to stop doing that because the way the man cave is at the moment, I keep hitting things. If you've got thylacine werewolves, you've got to have at least some kind of indigenous presence in an Australian movie. And we get that in the form of an outback guy called Kendi, who lives near the colony of where thylacines, played by Burnham Burnham. Interesting guy. Um, he was had a lot to do with um, Aboriginal rights and was at one stage in the 1980s was a prominent um, Aboriginal activist and author. He was a Yorta Yorta man um, from up along the river country uh, between Victoria and New South Wales. He stood for election in the upper house of the New South Wales Parliament in the 1980s and um, did a couple of movies. He did a movie called Dark Age, which is a thriller set in the um, north of Australia. He was in Ground Zero, another one which is quite of interesting. And also, of course, in Marcy Bill's Howling 3. And he has a little bit of fun with this role. And um, it was good to see him in there and to have that kind of acknowledgement. And to be honest, it does play into some Aboriginal mythology as well. Because if you have a look at the recent Australian television series, Clever Man, which is maybe a little bit hard to find overseas, but I know it's out on um, DVD and Blu-ray here in Australia because I have it. There are a non-human subset of indigenous australians called hairy people which is based on aboriginal legend in this tv series clever man it's one of the um themes running through it and this kind of has some parallels to that in a way which gives it a little more credibility in, in some weird kind of fucked up way in my mind at least also get barry humphreys turning up right at the end of the film as dame edna Everidge. he's um satirical character um, as an Academy Award host, which is kind of a little bit left field, but we'll go with that. Uh, there are other people who turn up in it who are kind of minor celebrities as well. Bill Collins turns up. Now, Bill Collins is a name that the people in Australia will know who are movie buffs, but outside Australia is not well known. Since the 1960s, up until very recently, he did a thing called The Golden Years of Hollywood where he would introduce and explain classic Hollywood films, first on free-to-air TV and then on um, cable. And for a lot of movie buffs, Bill Collins was the person who told them about a lot of classic cinema, myself included. He was really knowledgeable, friendly, and never condescending when he was talking about films. He just kind of conveyed his love and passion of classic Hollywood cinema. Uh, he's in retirement now, but uh, Bill Collins really did educate several generations of Australian movie buffs on particularly American cinema, but also UK cinema. He was intended to specialise because they were the movies that we had access to before home media became a thing. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of love. He doesn't get much to do in there. He's in, in one scene in the science lab and gets killed off very quickly. But just having Bill Collins in there was a lot of fun. There are also some other character actors from Australia that are kind of interesting. Um, Carol Skinner, who's turned up in a lot of things over a lot of years, is one of the other thylacine women who um, 
tries to track down Jaboa in Sydney. Her and her um, other two sisters come to Sydney dressed as nuns for some reason. You end up with the uh, with the weird and wonderful vision of thylacine werewolf nuns transforming into their thylacine were creature selves. This movie kind of sits in that 1980s era of Australian cinema where some weird and wonderful things were happening. Um, Barry Peake and the other people involved in the Valhalla Cinema were making a few movies like As Times Goes By, The Big Hurt, Channel Chaos. Um, yeah, the, those guys were putting movies out. We had Sons of Steel, which is another weird and wonderful Australian genre film, The Time Guardian. It was a really kind of weirdly fruitful time for Australian genre cinema. Every six months or 12 months or so, something interesting would come out. And then the the tax breaks that were given to film production kind of ended. And that second tier of exploitation movies after the big initial surge of things that occurred in the 1970s kind of diminished out and Australian cinema to a certain extent though there are a lot of genre movies coming out now but to a certain extent in the 90s Australian cinema started taking itself a little bit seriously and so there were fewer genre films coming out and more kind of serious pieces because now we've got um, movies like The Babadook and other movies coming out that really do show a resurgence at least of the horror side of things in Australian genre cinema. I want to see more of it. Um, I think that there are so many opportunities now with the streaming services having incredible amounts of money, particularly Netflix, that hopefully we will see a lot more Australian genre films coming out. There are a few, but I really want to see a resurgence there. And the nice thing about that is there's a built-in international audience, which has always been the thing that starved film production. Uh, particularly in kind of lesser types of films, like genre films, lesser in the extent of less well-regarded. And so having that built-in worldwide audience is going to help the Australian industry. There are perils to that as well. Having too much into one particular service might um, kind of minimise the autonomy of filmmakers, but you know, we'll see what happens with that. At the moment, it's a good time to do genre cinema. um, I took a look through Netflix the other day, and there's a lot of bad science fiction movies on Netflix. Not bad from a technical point of view, but bad from the fact that we've seen it before. And they're kind of very derivative. Um, There are attempts to do original stuff, but for the most part, there's not really that kind of wonderful, inventive craziness that we've seen in genre cinema in various times over the last 50 or 60 years. You're getting a lot of interesting things happening in television and and kind of streaming TV services. Um, It's really television, though. Um, If you see something like Doom Patrol, which is on DC's platform, it's no longer a television show. It's a streaming episodic series, I suppose. Um, But there, there are weird and wonderful things happening. I think we need to get a few more... Australian superhero movies. I think there's a space for that. I know they tend to be special effects heavy, which means money heavy, but there are ways of doing that that won't be as expensive as people think. 
Um, if episodic TV can do superhero stuff, then um, an Australian um, feature film can. The technologies, particularly as far as using manipulations of the moving image, are cheaper. I mean, there are ways with the software I've got that I can kind of fake the dusting that happened in Thanos Snap, for instance, on a screen. It's not impossible. It's not particularly difficult to do that. For people who've got even better software than me, it's, it's even simpler. It's just a matter of getting the people who know how to do it. But um, And also cameras are cheaper. 4K cameras are crazy cheap at the moment. So I want to see more genre films. I'm not going to make them myself because it might have play well with others. But I want to see more of them. And um, if you, I'll tell you what, here's something for the, you as a listener. It's a request, not an order. Find me some interesting stuff in, in the superhero genre and in other kind of fantasy, science fiction and horror that are turning up on streaming services because I might do a couple of episodes where I specifically look at that. I've done a few in the past, but what's your go-to interesting find, your kind of hidden gem of genre cinema on the streaming services? Let me know because I'm interested in checking them out. But anyway, that's it for Howling 3, The Marsupials. It's crazy. It's off the wall. It's not really great, but it is interesting. And I have an ingrained fondness for movies that are set in Sydney at a time when I was living in Sydney, in the same way that I like movies that are set in Melbourne because I live here now. As Baz Luhrmann makes them because fuck Baz Luhrmann. But anyway, I'm going to take a break now and then talk about a few other things that have been happening. And it wouldn't be one of my podcasts if I didn't mention Scott Walker, the singer and songwriter and crazy avant-garde musician who died this week. Now, in the past 20 years, there isn't kind of like a month that goes by without me listening to Scott Walker music. Um, His first four albums are the ones I like the best, though other people like his more recent stuff a lot more. But um, he was always on my playlists, and I really liked his stuff. So I'm going to play a track by Scott Walker and then get back into a few other things I want to talk about. And this one is a version of a song originally done by Tony Fisher in the early 1960s, and also the name of one of Barry Peake's movies, The Big Hurt. This one has a great orchestral score. Um, I'll play another Scott Walker move, um, song, what am I saying, movie song, at the end of the podcast as well, just to honour a musician of whom I've had a lot of fondness over the years. So here is Scott Walker with The Big Hurt. This is my life. 
So Vale Scott Walker, um, somebody else died this week that um, has kind of had an influence on me, and that is the cult filmmaker Larry Cohen stepped on a rainbow during the week. Now, Larry Cohen was really getting a lot of love in the last maybe five years that previously he didn't get as a filmmaker. Of course, he made lots of interesting films, some of which I've talked about on the podcast, Things like The Stuff and Cue the Winged Serpent, God Told Me To. He did Bone with Yafet Koto in the early 1970s. Um, It's Alive, the It's Alive trilogy, which is a really great horror movie franchise about killer babies. Um, He always had really interesting concepts in his films. I'm actually putting together a YouTube video of my top five Larry Cohen movies because things about people that just died seem to do well on YouTube. Um, my In Memoriam for 2018 has got crazy amounts of viewing. Let me just check my um, YouTube while I'm talking to you because I keep getting fascinated with the fact that this one video of mine did extremely well Why a lot of others didn't. Fuck me dead. 21,000 views. For me, that's a lot. Of, I mean, it's not up there with Casey Neistat and PewDiePie, but... I'm not unhappy with that. I'm doing one for 2019 as well. So we'll see how that one plays out. But um, yeah, 21,000 views. Um, You can, I keep getting extra subscribers too. I've got 166 subscribers now. Starting to get towards as many subscribers as I've got for the podcast. Larry Cohen. I saw Larry Cohen's It's Alive in the cinemas and it blew me away. I also saw Cue the Winged Serpent in the cinemas and then I owned a copy on VHS, which I've got rid of and I now have a Blu-ray copy of it. Um, crazy Unique Vision. He did the TV series The Invaders. He was the originator of that amongst other TV series in the 1960s, other TV series like Coronet Blue and Blue Light, the um, spy series with Robert Goulet in it from the 1960s was one of his. Yeah, he um, didn't do a lot after 2006, but I liked him. He was a maverick who hopped genres. He went from exploitation to horror to science fiction of various kinds um, to satirical riffs on consumerism with movies like The Stuff. Yeah, he was, um, he was a one-off. 
and he will be missed because um, I like his stuff. It's in that sweet spot of mine where I was watching a lot of exploitation cinema and Larry Cohen's name kept coming up and I loved that. He really did give us some great movie memories. So anyway, what's coming up for the podcast? I'm going to do a couple of Japanese movies, I think, just to kind of settle into the vibe of the big trip that's upcoming. So I'm not sure. Maybe I'll do a kaiju movie. Maybe I'll do a kaijen movie. There are all sorts of genres I can play with there. I found a Kurosawa movie that I hadn't known existed, an early one with Toshiro Mifuni where he plays a doctor who accidentally gets um, infected with syphilis which is you know, a laugh right to begin with. But that one's more Paleo Cinema than Martian Drive-In Podcast. Let me know if you want to see that one on Paleo Cinema because that might be a bit of um, an interesting one to take me out of my comfort zone as far as Kurosawa movies is concerned. <clears throat> but I did promise myself this year that I watched more movies that I hadn't seen before. So maybe I need to um, stay true to that. Might be a bit of fun. It'll definitely be an educational thing for me. So I'm going to make this a fairly short podcast. The next one, I promise, will be longer. And I'll try to do something a bit lengthy while I'm in Japan as well. So anyway, thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting the podcast by giving me your ears. And particularly thank you to the Patreon supporters who keep the podcast going. And as usual, there is going to be the credits to the podcast done in the style of movie credits to honour the Patreon supporters, followed by another piece of Scott Walker's wonderful music, uh, his interpretation of a Jacques Brel song called Amsterdam, which David Bowie did a lot worse. Anyway, in the meantime, keep watching the skies, look after yourselves, take care, watch some good movies, watch some bad movies, definitely watch movies, and buy them on physical media if you absolutely can. I'll be back soon with another podcast. Here are the credits, followed by the wonderful, late Scott Walker. Talk to you soon. Here are the credits for Paleo Cinema Podcast and Martian Drive-In Podcast, done in the style of movie credits to honour the people who support this podcast. Thank you to Tom, the focus puller, Sarah, the special effects technician, Ian, the caterer, Grant, the technicolour consultant, Claire, the script doctor, Gary the prop master Morris the musical director Jan the dialect coach Arm and our key grip Matt the rattlesnake wrangler Elaine our scientific advisor Julia our casting director Chris our camera operator Christopher our gaffer Miss Jane our wardrobe mistress Tansy our foley artist Alyssa our location scout Mark, our second unit director. Paul, our special makeup effects director. Tammy, the donut wrangler. Tim, our New York unit director. Rabbi Steve, our spiritual advisor. Uh, Steve Sullivan, our director of monster effects. Dylan, our goat wrangler. Eric, our set security lead. Richard H., our set photographer. Mark D., our extra and David L, our extra. Kerry H, who is the accountant. And our newest supporter, Gary J, who is a CG effects technician. So thank you very much to all of the supporters of the podcast. We really appreciate you dipping into your purses and helping out with the podcast.
In the port of Amsterdam There's a sailor who sings Of the dreams that he brings From the wide open sea In the port of Amsterdam There's a sailor who sleeps While the riverbank weeps With the old willow tree In the port of Amsterdam There's a sailor who dies Full of beer, full of cries In a drunken down fight But in the port of Amsterdam There's a sailor who's born On a muggy hot morn By the dawn's early light In the port of Amsterdam Where the sailors all meet There's a sailor who eats Only fish heads and tails He will show you his teeth That have rotted too soon That can swallow the moon That can haul up the sails And he yells to the cook With his arms open wide Bring me more fish Set it down by my side And he wants sort of belch But he's too full to try So he gets up and laughs And he zips up his fly In the port of Amsterdam You can see sailors dance Watches bursting their pants Grinding women to punch They've forgotten the tune That their whiskey voice croaks Splitting the night With the roar of their jokes And they turn and they dance And they laugh and they lust Sounds of the accordion burst them out to the night with their pride in their pants and the slut that they tow underneath the street lamps. In the port of Amsterdam, there's a sailor who drinks and he drinks and he drinks. 